so welcome everybody to season two of Rule Not the Exception podcast. Um, we thank you for riding with us. It's been a fantastic season one. Uh, we want to thank people like the Pod Bible and the Sunday Times for putting us on the list and and you know recognizing us. We you know we really appreciate it. We've we've come a long way, Amrita and I. So thank you for that. And season two, we've got some fantastic guests lined up for you. Uh, none more so than the guy we have in today, Mr. Yasin Ator, actor, on. writer, director, producer. Am I missing anything out? Teacher. Stop it. Teacher, yes. Stop it. Well done. That's actually fantastic. Well, teacher's actually such a key one, and we're going to get into that later. Tickling um, my ego, you are. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> how uh, How are you doing? How's your How's your 2020 been? It's been a crazy year, crazy spring, COVID, Black Lives Matter movement. How um how's everything been for you? Fast and very, very slow. I think everyone's going through the same kind of thing. It's like when you ask anybody, everybody's everybody's like, I've had so much time to think about life. So many epiphanies, so many um a, l- a lot of self growth I, I I feel. Is a that based on the stuff that had been going on or is that just in general? Well yeah, absolutely. Was with with what's been going on, but also when you're in the I don't want to call it a rat race, but when you're living life at like a thousand miles per hour and you're trying to you're trying to cater to these different things, you've got family on one side and you've got, you know, you're running a, a course on one side, you're trying to you're trying to, you know, cover the acting side, the directing side and, and just yourself and traveling and what have you. And then COVID comes along and it says, yo, you better relax. Yeah. You better chill. And then, um, you, you know, you suddenly you've gone from a thousand miles per hour to like two miles per hour and then you have time you have time to relax and just take stock in in life and appreciate a lot of the things that you have and remember that you're here to to live and make the most out of it and it's not just about running around and 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 trying to get to the top of the mountain i was talking to someone the other day and i was like you know there's nothing at the top of the mountain except for a lack of oxygen very interesting way to look at it yeah there is nothing up there well, there's the way down. Absolutely. There's only the way down. <laughs> yeah. So and, why, and the so, way down is harder. <laughs> so why do people go for getting to the top of the mountain if there's nothing there for them? Well, I think that is the breakthrough that you hope one goes through, that you realize before you, you start making that, that journey that, hey, actually, let's just live. Let's not think about too much and... Just stay present and enjoy every single moment and the relationships that you had with people because at the end of the day, that's that's all you have. You don't have anything else. Are you definitely someone who feels as though it's about the experience climbing up the mountain than hitting that peak? Absolutely. At this stage of my life, 100%. When you're young, you think you know everything and you think it's all about go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. And it, sometimes it doesn't matter who you stamp over and it's... You go through the mileage and you realize that that's not what it's about. Do you feel you were that way? Stamp over, get where I need to get to. When I was younger, your empathy levels are quite low. Mine were. Mine were. But I, I grew up with a lot of empathy when I was a lot younger. And then you go through your teens in the environment that I grew up in. <laughs> and it's kind of a, a dog-eat-dog world. You better eat or be eaten. So you have to put your empathy to the side and you have to keep moving. What's uh, what's your background, Yasin? Heritage. My heritage is Morocco. We're Moroccan. Yeah, mother and father. My dad is from the Sahara part of Morocco. My mother's from the north. So it's a it's a it's a big mix. My 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 dad my dad is quite dark, um, and my mother is quite fair. She's a little bit like Amrita. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And did yeah. Have they have you grown up in London your whole life? Or? No, I was born in London and then my dad shipped me out to Morocco oh, yeah? <laughs> straight away. Yeah, what age they, was that? I was six months old. Yeah, and then uh, I was raised with my grandparents in Morocco and my, and my uncles and aunties, um, which was an incredible ride. Incredible ride. Some of the best memories of my life. And then I, ke- I kept coming back and forth and then I'd come back and change schools and stuff. Mum and dad had to work, so... They didn't have time to look after me, you know, and give me a hundred percent of their attention because at that at that time people came over to the UK with a goal in mind was to come here, make as much money as you can, and then go back home. They're still here four years later. I still dreaming to go back home. 
how was that growing up in terms of did you know you were now with your grandparents and your mum and dad were here and does that affect one's upbringing early on or are you too young to be aware of it I was hyper aware I was hyper aware of everything around me um I don't know why I can't sit here and explain and tell you this is why this is what happened but I I knew that I was from England and I knew I had a British passport but I didn't care because I didn't I, I didn't know any better all I knew was where I was and where I was was unbelievable and I had all these heroes around me, my uncles, my granddad. And everything was extreme in a sense of everything, you know, me growing up, everything I had to learn, whether it was learning how to swim <laughs> or fighting or whatever it was, it was extreme. My, my granddad taught me how to swim by taking me into the ocean on his boat. He was a fisherman. Wow. Scrabbing me by my afro and just launching me <laughs> into the Atlantic Ocean, literally in the middle of the sea. I must have drowned a hundred times. You could swim now. I'm, I swim like a fish. <laughs> Come on. So it's yeah. a good, good method there, basically. <laughs> and, then, um, and then when did you come back here permanently? I would say I stopped going back to Morocco for long periods of time when I hit maybe nine years of age. It's a key time, really, isn't it? Because you're sort of finding yourself as a man, yeah, a young yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's trying to find where you fit um, in London, because you, yeah, you were in London, right? Yeah, I was in London. Yeah, 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 yeah. Urban London. Um, I, someone asked me this the other day. Someone said, you know, where do you identify yourself with? You know, what's your identity? And I was like, I don't really have one. I'm just here. I don't, I don't, you know, a lot of people say, you know, are you, are you Arab? Are you this? Are you that? And I was like, you know, it's funny because when I, when I used to be in Morocco, they'd look at me and be like, you're not Moroccan. You know what I mean? And then you have Asian friends here and they're like, you're not really Asian. I'm like, of course not, I'm African. But then you, you, some people will be like, you, you're Asian. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm from North Africa. And um, people say, you're not black. And I'm like, yeah, I hear that. My dad's really black, he's charcoal black. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I never really, I never really had a clear, I, you know, a clear place where I could say, this is, this is what I am or this is what I resonate. I just, I'm just from London. That's the way I look at it. And are you comfortable being fluid with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's that need to label, isn't it? But from speaking to people that have similar sort of experiences to you, they tend to be quite happy not to be labelled. And you are just from the place that you're at. Like when you say you're a Londoner, that's, I guess that's what you would say you identify as. I th yeah, I think, I think for me personally, I don't, I don't mind whether you label me or because it doesn't change me in any way. It's your perception of me. I, you know I me. Mean? I know who I am as an individual, but I don't really care what anyone says or what they think or even my name. I was saying this to someone else the other day. Also, you know, nobody even knew my name for a while because we all had nicknames when we were young. It's only, I only used my real name when I got into the industry. What was your nickname? Zates. Okay. Yeah, which is short for Olive, Black Olive. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, Zaytun. So yeah, so people Arabs who who know the language and are familiar, they'll know. They'll be like, oh, Zaytun. Yeah. So I was I was raised called Zaytuna, and then I was like, I didn't really like that name, so I'm gonna shorten it, put a little spin on it, and call myself Zaytz. So my loved ones, sorry, no, no, go. On. My loved ones will call me Zaytz. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. No, what I was gonna say was, I know any time I've been in the Middle East, they uh, they mistake me for being Middle Eastern because of my name, and they're like you know what your name means? And I was like, I do now because everyone keeps telling me it means eagle. Um, I didn't even know in, that. In Arabic, but yeah, apparently Saga means... Arabic, wow. So, so everyone kept telling me, going, you're Arabic. If you're not, you should like you should be, in it. Your name. <laughs> That's like, okay. interesting. That's so interesting. <laughs> but, do, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier for you because you're just, you're, you're not just, but like you could just be like, you know, I'm Indian. I guess it's each to their own, as you said, because you said you are who you are. I'm probably a bit more, um, I was born and raised in, in London. I come from a British, I come from an Indian heritage, but my mum's East African okay. in terms of she was born and raised in uh, Uganda, okay. uh, in the Indian community there. Um, but then you have other examples well, like Amrita, Amrita yeah. who's a bit more, mm -hmm. she's got a few, you know, different um, aspects to it. And, and I, you know, I know you've spoken about sometimes have you struggled with that? Um, Where are you from? Sure. First, so I'm a half Nepalese, half Ukrainian. I wouldn't say I've struggled with identity because we were just brought up to go, well, you're half Ukrainian, half Nepalese and adopt whatever you like from wherever we're living at that point. 
Um, I think the struggle has been to almost to get people to accept that I don't need to be labelled and I don't mm, necessarily yeah. I identify as a Londoner, but I wouldn't say I necessarily am a Londoner. I think I probably have more of a London accent now than I ever have before because <laughs> I've lived here a lot now. London. Um, yeah, London. <laughs> but um, I, I call home Norway, even though I'm not Norwegian, you know, but my parents Which live there. So that's home because that's where, our, you know, we're rooted there now. But yeah, so it's it's quite interesting when people talk about identity. And I think uh, I think speaking to you, I can sort of relate to that idea of it kind of being, well, you can perceive me in whatever way you want, but I'm quite comfortable with who I am and where, where I'm landing right now. Um, yeah, you could probably put me anywhere and I'd be quite comfortable. What about the industry? How is it? How are you? Who's interviewing <laughs> oh, here you we here? Go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how about the industry? Because uh, you just spoke about um, changing your name to... Or you're getting to grips with your real name, yeah, I guess, yeah. or using your real name to get into the industry. Um, how do you feel in it? And how, I mean, I'm sure we're similar in the sense that we're probably quite ambiguous in the way that we look. And that obviously has both negative and positive aspects to casting. I like the way you you, you swindled that like a politician. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> that's, uh, that's very, very, very good. I like that. Um, in the beginning, it was challenging to navigate because you see yourself in a well first of all let me tell you about the first audition I ever went into let's hear it first audition I ever went I came out of drama school like you're gonna be a doctor you're gonna be a this you're gonna be a that you're gonna you're gonna do everything you're gonna take over the world and I'm like yeah let's go let's go let's get it and then I get to my first audition and I walk into this room and there's like 20 people that all look like me I never knew what I looked like to the outside world because you don't, you don't, you're not made of, for me, it was never about how I looked. It was, you know, how I felt, who I was and, and my personality and my characteristics. But then when you see reflections of yourself and you're like, oh, that's how people see me. Is that what they see? What did you find? Uh, it was Arab. It was, a, it was an Arab role. It was a Arab terrorist role. Um, surprise, surprise. And uh, and I was like, oh, damn. And that was difficult. That was the hardest thing. Because I was like, I never really, I never, if anything, if anything, I, I, I thought I was more kind of black, if we're going to be honest. And um, yeah, I had to get used to that. I really had to get used to that. And I was frustrated because I was like, wait, my energy is this. My energy is not that to play uh, a, a, a caricature of, of an Arab, and um, and I struggled with that in the beginning. I struggled with that, and I was like, "Well, what am I gonna do here? Am I gonna, am I gonna quit, pack this up because I don't like it, or do I have to play the game, ride it out, and you know, book stuff at that at that time? That was my mentality: book stuff, get on set." let them see who I really am and then try and change the mood, try and change the energy. Yeah, no, I can. I know that's definitely something that's already started to change and will definitely come back to some of the mm. work that you have done or about to do, which has definitely uh, flipped that on its head. Yeah. What uh, drama school did you go to? I went to Arts Ed. How was that? Best year of my life. Yeah? Yeah, for the first time in my entire life, I only had to look after myself. That's how I felt. Um... And I was in I was in a in an environment where you know twenty nine other people wanted to do the same thing, and we were there hustling and grinding from you know seven thirty in the morning until they had to throw me out. I was there until midnight <laughs> until they had to close up close up the doors, and uh, it was unbelievable that that it was a different world. Sag. It was a completely different world to what I was used to. Like I said, in my world, it was dog eat dog. You, you, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It was a little bit like that when it came to showcase, mm. <laughs> but um, it was a different. It was a completely different world. And, and I, I tell you what it was for me. I went to a school, maybe like yourselves, where it was thirty people in a class, and I thought that I just academic wise, I just wasn't with it. It's only when I went to drama school that I realized that and I went to drama school when I was thirty years old. I realized that I just learned different. There was mm -hmm. 10 people in a class. You know, they split 30 people into groups of three. And um, and they just, they, they tailored 
their approach to each individual. And that blew my mind. I was like, whoa, I, I'm not actually that bad academically. I just I just learn a different way. I learn visually, I learn practically. And uh, and it really worked for me. It really worked for me. And it gave me the confidence to, to believe in, in myself. Not that I never believed in myself per se in life. I really, I'm really confident in that aspect. But in terms of, like I said, academically, in terms of this world, and, you know, so had you, had you been in the arts before you started drama school then? So you went quite late into drama school compared to what most people might expect yeah, uh, people yeah. to. That's um, a, that's what was your journey in? That's a great, great question. Um, my journey was I did, I did GCC drama and I absolutely loved that. Mm-hmm. And then I'll fast forward. In, when I left GCC drama, I didn't get the grades. To, to go on to university or like college or what have you. And the only course that I found I could do was GMVQ, Leisure and Tourism. And it was a course that, I don't want to say dropouts, but it was, it was the course that was easily accessible for people who never got good grades. And um, I'm on that course and I was like, what on earth am I doing? So I enrolled in Hammersmith College and done a and done a diploma, some sort of diploma in drama. There was a woman there, I wish I can find her. Her name is Ritzy Richards. And we did a, a play and she said, you know what? Yes, you're wasting your time. You're still young. You know, I was 17 at the time. And she said, you need to go to this place called Weekend Arts College, WAC, in Belsize Park. She gave me the number. I went down there and uh, I was very raw. I had my Averix jacket on, if anyone remembers Averix. And I had my big Timberland boots. And I walked in there straight off the street. and um, And I was welcomed with 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 everything that one could could imagine and uh they took me in and they didn't try to break me down and build me back up they just said that's you that's what we want we want you to represent yourself it was a woman called celia greenwood and my then to become mentor che walker and he literally took me in and, and educated me and i discovered shakespeare and I'm not saying that I'm in love with Shakespeare, but there are some <laughs> moments. Yeah. No. So that that was my that was my introduction. Wack Arts is uh, fast becoming uh, a well-known spot. Famously, Daniel Kaluuya Absolutely. was there as well. But they're in trouble, man, and we need to help. Yeah. They're in trouble. We need to help because they they're always fighting for funding. No one, not that no one cares, but you know the arts it has is very quickly becoming something that is a something that everyone's kind of forgotten about. Yeah. Or is also quite elitist, I'd say at times. Um, not as easily accessible. Definitely. Definitely. Especially in my time. That's why it blew my mind that mm. I went to a place where it was, you know, a class was one pound. And you were taught by artists in the industry. And you were going to these classes and obviously then after that you went on to, uh, to Arts Ed. Ten years later. Ten years later. What happened oh, in wow. the time between? <laughs> My mentor, Che, two years after, well, three years after WAC, um, I was starting to get to the point where I couldn't be at WAC anymore. I was passing the age. And um, he cast me in a show, his directorial debut at Chidi J's Final Hours. And we're doing a show. The last night, I invite my dad. And now, you know, I always, everyone knows this, this about me. My dad is my world. You know, I'm still trying to make my, my pups proud. And uh, he's not even longer here with us. God rest him. But um, I wanted, to, I desperately wanted him to come and see the show. And at the time, I was cleaning bus stops. I worked in a company called Adshell. And I, I picked him up in a van, came down, watched the show. And uh, there was an agent at the show. And Che came to me after and he said, look, there's this agent. They want to talk to you, X, Y, Z. And I, I spoke to the lady. I can't remember her name. That was 2003. And uh, gave me her number. She said, call me on Monday. So I'm driving back with my dad. And I'm like, dad, man, you know what? This is it. This is what I'm going to do. And um, I'm going to get off the streets and whatever. And he was like, this is great. And I really want you to do it. And you have the ability to do anything that you want. However, I want to build a home back in Morocco. And I would like you to help me do that. And I was just like, God damn. There's no way I'm going to say no to my dad. So I tore the number of the agent, threw it out the window. I called Che and I said, Che, don't call me. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to know anything about the arts. I've got to do this thing for my old man. 
And that was that. That was seven years. And then I I started my own business. I started to I had a I opened up a car hire company, a sports car hire company. Uh, I worked for someone for a little bit, and then I took the initiative to do my own thing. And um, and and then I had to I had to I went into bankruptcy, two thousand and nine, when the credit crunch kicked in. Wow. And we shut the business down. And then I became a driving instructor. And Can you as teach me to drive. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, every day. It sounds like you were. It's the hardest job on earth. Oh. I, I had a, I had a, I had a great experience, and 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 I met wonderful people. And it's because someone I met. Sorry, Sag. I want to get to this point before I forget. I was coaching a woman. She did her test. She passed. We drove back, and as we were driving back, she said, "You know, getting to know you in these past three to four weeks." Your story is fascinating. She came from a different world. Her 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 husband was best friends with Stephen Hawkins, and she said, "Report up outside her house, Montpellier Square." And she said, "You you one thing I know about you, yes, or what I've got to know is that you're an opportunist, except for the thing that you love the most, which is telling stories." I was like, "Oh, you can't do that to me." <laughs> and at the time, I you know I had a lot of energy. I still have a lot of energy, and as much as I loved helping people learn how to drive it was killing my soul every day i'd get in that car and it would chip at my soul because i knew i was doing something that was destroying me you know psychologically because i it, it for me i i just thought that i just i could help people make a bit of money um it was a pit stop it was a longer pit stop than i had anticipated and then from the conversation i had with her i phoned che and i said this this is the conversation. Che, I want to go drama school. And he said, shut up. You're not going to drama school. You're too old. And I said, no, I, I have to go drama school. And he was like, no, we'll just call an agent. We'll call some people. We're getting... I said, no, we're not doing that. Drama school. And then he said, all right, come meet me at WAC at 10 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> and that's the end of it. He said, we, we, we applied for RADA, Guildhall, Lambda, Artsed. And he said, you're not getting into Guild. You're not getting into RADA. You're not getting into Guildhall. I didn't Gosh. question him. He was just like, I, you're not getting into them. It's just not. But he said, use those as warm-ups. He goes, you've got a good chance of getting a Lambda. And I'd said, as he predicted, hmm. Lambda, shortlist for Lambda, and I got into Art said. And as soon as I walked into the building, Art said, I was like, this is my home. The energy that I saw there, no other drama school had. And, that, and it matched my energy. So from the moment you said to him, I'm out to the moment you rang him and said I'm in. Seven years. Seven years. I never spoke to him. Seven years. So the seven year itch exists. Sorry? The seven year itch. It, it exists. Yeah, yeah, literally. Seven years. Bang. Wow. And he was just like and it wasn't like, Oh, how are you? There was no formalities, just straight bang. This is what we're doing. So why did you decide that you wouldn't go straight down the agent route that he suggested? Why were you so uh, hell bent on <laughs> I wanna go drama school? Because um I'm going to have to be really honest here because I needed the validation. Mm. That's why. I wanted to go to drama school when I was 19. But in my mind, people like me don't go to drama school. What do you mean by people like you? People who spoke like me at the time. People who looked like me at the time. Uh, it wasn't something that we did. It just it was not in our world. It was, you know, you want me to be frank? People that went to drama school, in my mind at that time, were people who had money, came from money, and nine times out of ten were white. And I was like, that, that, you know, I'm not going to be accepted in this situation. So, and when you did uh, do your year at Artside, was that the case, or were there people like you there? Were there people you could relate to, or did you feel like an outsider? How was your personal experience in that year? I think I knew what I was getting into. Um, I didn't expect there to be anything else but the majority of the people that I had initially thought were the people that go to drama school. In my year, it was me, it was Jackie, uh, it was like four or five people who who came from somewhere else and everybody else was was from from England or, or, or Scotland or, or Ireland, that's what it was. But I didn't expect anything else. It wasn't like a shock to me. I was just like, you know, this is it. This is we're, we're we're all in this together, and then we rock and roll. 
I assume um, a lot of them were probably younger than you might have been at yeah. drama school. Um, d- did you? F- how did you find that being somebody that had so much more experience, not just in terms of age, but the things that you've touched on in your life, the choices you've had to make, how bound to your family ties and the responsibility you've had to take on from a young age onwards. Did did that create a difference in your experience, do you think? It helped. Yeah. It massively, massively helped. When I, w- when I was going into drama school, I had to say, I had to kind of write myself a contract, which was, you have to go into this place naked. <laughs> now, I'm not, I don't mean naked per se, but naked in terms of get rid of any, if you have a drop of ego, get rid of it. If you have a drop of uh, of anything that can hinder you in any way, just get rid of it. Go in here with a clean slate. You haven't come from anywhere. Just just dive in and do everything because there were things I didn't want to do. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to get into tights and jump around like a leprechaun. I didn't want to do that. But I was like, I have to do that. I have to get through this. So I just threw everything in the, you know, and like I said, where I came from, I had a I had a lot of respect and a lot of uh, admiration and uh, and I had a team outside of the world outside of the industry and it was a very different two it was polarizing uh, worlds for me. And how was it for the outside your outside people your friends your family when you were like I'm going to go and do this year? Did they take it seriously? Did they feel like because it, again it was a different time? Was it almost considered um, soft to go and do something like that? No, everything happens exactly how it should happen. I had to claim for bankruptcy for my business. And then I got really sick. And I wrote a book. I wrote it was a book slash script. I don't know what it was. And when I started to to uh teach people how to drive, there was a guy there, Craig Carr, whose wife was a producer. And I told him about my history. I'm always passionate about the arts and creativity. And I said, look, this is what I've been doing. And he sent it to his his wife. And she was like, you know what? This has legs. We want to give you some money to finish it. And I was like, yeah, I can't because I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And I always wanted to direct. I always wanted to tell stories rather than act, funny enough. It was only when I went to Weekend Arts College did someone give me a little bit of belief uh, in me and uh, had a bit of belief in me and said, you know, you've got something. And then that's all you need sometimes, that little little, little kick. And you take that and you run. Uh, but, I, but I always thought that acting wasn't for me. I wanted to get into acting to learn how to talk to actors as a director. That was the real reason why I wanted to go to drama school. So I, so I could develop a dialogue with actors. And then, you know, you, you finish off there do you then feel like, okay, I'm ready to go and attack the world as an actor? From drama school? Yeah. Oh, I was... Man, was your toolkit, your toolkit full? I had a rocket. I think it was more energy rather than toolkit. It's a very, very good question. Um, I had the energy and the fuel and the passion drive to go and jump in the industry and, and go out there and create. For me, it was all about create, create, create. It's only until I started to audition. It's only until I started to, you know, I, I I was lucky enough to get my first gig that I kind of realized, whoa, there's something missing here. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, I did the training. I did everything. I'm going back to my notes. You know, there's something not right. I felt like I was overcooking things sometimes. I felt like I couldn't really take the, the, the readjustment sometimes and, and kind of got lost for, I'd say, a good... I was lucky enough to book something quite early on, but I never felt quite grounded and I never felt like I knew what I was doing. And that bugs me in every sense of life. You can't control life, but if it's something that you can, if if I can control something, which is small, can't control your health, you can work to, to try and maintain good health and, and be fit and healthy, but ultimately you can't control those things. But there are some things you can control. And I felt like I was completely out of out of control. And I started to do this kind of, I'm just gonna be cool, I'm not gonna do nothing no more. I'm just gonna really like, just play everything just cool and, and chilled out and hopefully the camera picks it all up. It's nonsense, <laughs> it doesn't pick up nothing. And um, 
And I'm not I'm not saying that because that's what I was taught in drama school. I wasn't. I was, you know, we did a lot of stage. We did a lot. We did some film as well. But I, ju I just felt out of my depth. Where do you think that comes from? Because it sounds like since you got into the arts and you got that little sort of, yeah, I can do this, that you were confident in it. Where does that loss of confidence in knowing what you're doing? Technically. So you didn't feel technically? Technically, I felt like this was not working. And this wasn't work. I had the foundations. I absolutely had the foundations. Drama school, you know, I, I really built that. And uh, and I built the language and, and everything was there, but technically wasn't there. And I love anything technical and technique. For me, it's the fun is mastering something. Well, not even mastering, but just finding out how things work. I've so always been like How that. come you took a... I'm quite curious because it seems... I've only known you for like the 20 minutes we've been talking, but you don't seem like somebody that would retreat from a challenge. So I'm quite curious as to why did you suddenly start doing that? I'm just going to chill out and hope the camera picks it up rather than going, hang on a sec, I'm going to suss this because out and find out. It's a great question. I did something. I did something with, uh, with, with, with my team out of drama school and I watched it back and I was like, holy moly, what on earth am I doing there? And it was a kind of, I don't want to say stage because uh, we can get into this whole argument between film and stage or what have you. But I just felt it was so over the top and it was nothing. As an audience member looking at it objectively, I didn't get anything from what I was doing. It just seemed like this mess. And uh, I had to hone it in and I thought the best way to do that was to just do nothing. You know, a lot of times you hear people say, do nothing, do nothing. You don't have to do anything or say anything. And then I did that and it got me nowhere. <laughs> so I had to go back to the drawing board and I was like, well, I got to figure this out. I can't do too much and I can't do nothing. So what can I do? And then it hit me. I had to be specific. So how did your approach change now? So you're saying be specific. Break that yeah, for me. I, 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 I went away like a nutty professor and I started to watch hours and hours of of the legends in our in our industry be it stage be it be it tv be it film and i started to i just dived in this world of <laughs> obsession on yeah. how how what were they doing did how did that commonalities? yeah absolutely um what i found because i can't give away too much because you know, I, I want people to come and experience film club. What I found was these guys knew how to connect with the audience. That was the the unanimous thing is they knew how to how to transport their thoughts and their feelings to the audience in a very specific way. And that was technical, that was craft. You get that in drama school, but not in a surgical way, not in a in a in a in a kind of in a very uh, uh, concise way. It wasn't it wasn't the same. It sounds like everything you've experienced uh, in life, in the time at Art Ed, the experience as an actor post Art Ed, and you know you did some great credits, Marcella, The State. Um, you know, you're on some fantastic shows working with some wonderful directors. It sounds like it was all pointing towards what you touched on, which was Film Club. Yeah. Why don't you uh, give the listeners a little insight as to what Film Club is, what makes it different? How did you come about it? Two years ago, was it two years ago? Two years ago, I called my agent and I said, I'm done. As an actor? Yeah. And he's, he said, you're not done, you're taking a break. And I said, you call it what you want, but I'm done. Because it's not that I fell out of love of the industry. The It never worked for my personality and my energy. I, I can't help, but I want to help and I want to give. And I didn't see that as an actor. And I'm, listen, I'm, I'm a Muslim through and through. And I wanted to come into this industry to tell stories to bring people together, whether you was Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, I don't care where you're from, we're all the same. That's what I came into the industry to do, to tell stories that 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 build bridges 
and make everybody, just get everybody a little bit closer to each other. What I was doing in industry was the total opposite. I was throwing fuel over the fire. And I was burning bridges uh, in, in the roles that I played. And, and it, they weren't true accounts or true representations of human beings. And I said, I can't do this anymore. This is destroying me, man. I, you know, no offense to anyone who's writing these things and what have you. And people write what they know or what they think they know. And that's cool. You do what you need to do. But I can't be a part of it anymore. I, can't, I just can't do it for my own soul. So I said, enough is enough. I have to go. And it, like I said, I don't, I don't look at industry and be like, oh, this, this. No, it's just it didn't work for me. So I thought, I'm going to go away. I'm going to write my scripts. I'm going to tell my stories. I'm going to create my own party and uh, invite the people that I want to come and, 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 and shake a leg at my party. So um, I did that. I went away. We, we, the team got stronger in terms of the production team, Pali Cuckoo. Um, and we started creating stuff nonstop. And then, uh, and that's where Film Club began. Film Club began because I felt as if I could help people and I could, I could cut through a lot of the fat and get straight to kind of what's required of you on set. And just, okay, here's the thing. Film Club is an actual, actually, it's a bit of a lie. I, and I, have, I don't tell people this. I've packaged Film Club as an acting course. If you ask anyone who's come to Film Club, is it an acting course? They'd say, yeah. However, it's just about life, really. Just how to navigate through life, packaged in this course. And it isn't just about industry. We discover, we discover ourselves and we discover our fears and we try to work with our fears and our, our, our what do you call it, when you have insecurities. And, and we highlight those boldly. Sag, you've been. Mm-hmm. We really highlight those and you can't get away from it. It's what you see and what you hear is what we get. And we work with that in a, in a very safe environment with a team of only six people. Um, and, and we create a bond, a family, for six weeks or six days if you're doing the intensive. But, but it is, how, you know, it's using my experiences in life to help people navigate their lives. And that's what ultimately, you know, Film Club, without giving away the, the this is what we do on this yeah. day and this is what we do and this is what we do, that's... Essentially, and without sort of giving it away, um, I guess my question would be, because I totally buy into the idea of you can't really be great at your art if you aren't great at knowing yourself and your limitations and your your barriers, yeah. basically, and how to break those down. Um, what do you what do you see people struggle the most with, and what what do you think? I'm going to give away the entire course right now (laughs) in three words. You ready? Yeah. What people struggle with is imagination and empathy. That's it. That's how I look at it. And that's how I break it down. Where do you think it gets lost? Because it's something I think as children we are innately equipped with both empathy and imagination with literally no limits where does it get lost we try to impress people we try to fit in would you argue that drama school can often be a place and the industry itself is often a place that just caters to that notion life is that you're trying to impress your boss you're trying to impress your lady friend as you go through life you lose parts of yourself and you you leave parts of yourself in certain places and and I'm going back, I'm collecting those pieces. I'm like, no, 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 we're going to get the pieces back. <laughs> I, and, and I think that's, that's what it is. When you get your students coming into a uh, film club, have you ever found um, that the reason that they want to pursue acting may not be the reason they thought they wanted to pursue acting? I guess the why and why people choose to do something or pursue something. I always ask, the first question I ask when we walk in is... Why? The why for me is very important. It's very important. And I don't even want him to answer the question. I just want him to think about it. If you don't know your why, I feel personally you'll be punished. You'll punish yourself. 
because this industry is difficult, man, like like other industries, but your why needs to be strong enough so when you're hearing no a billion times, you got your why has to be strong for you to keep going. Well, you're not right. Your why has to be very strong. My God, you need to have that in abundance. So if you come into this industry and a lot of people, and I don't I don't care why you come into the industry, but you need to know why and you need to understand how that's going to, you know, implement your journey. If you're coming in for fame and money or because you see someone um, doing something, that's fine. It's not strong enough though. It's not strong enough because th- with that comes a little bit of entitlement. When you're like, oh, I'm just going to do this. Or you see someone. You get a lot, I'll give you an example. A lot of people see uh, certain people who, who have come to film club and they're doing great things. And, I, and, and my team get an email like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I want to be like X, Y, Z. And I'm like, wonderful. Are you ready to work? Yeah, 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 I'll do anything. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'll do anything. Okay. All right. Let's see. Come X, Y, Z time. Ah, oh, I've got a... It's game over, bro. Yeah. It's game over. Those people that you see... Michael Ward. Michael Ward is where he is because he was willing to give everything. That's why. Yeah, people might look at it and say that was quick. Who cares? He put in the work. He's still putting in the work. And that's the truth. No one wants to help you if you're lazy. No one wants to help you if you've got too much ego. He teaches me He's a young kid, and I and he hasn't been through nowhere near the experiences that I have. But he teaches me about ego and pride. He don't care about those things. He will do what he needs to do. And and I had that. I had that as a as a man, as a young man, because my dad was like that. But when you see, when you identify that in a young man. At that age, coming from where he's from and his experience and his journey, you, I, you know, I, I, I related to that a lot. And I was like, okay, yeah, you, you've got that. Where do you sort of pitch yourself in that, uh, I guess, that argument or debate about um, talent versus hard work and commitment? I believe you, you got to have both. Talent is subjective, especially in this industry. Someone might look at you and be like, oh, she just looks so natural on screen. Someone else might look like, she's overdoing it. I don't really know about that. It's, it's very, very subjective. And if you're, you know, I don't want to say generically pleasing on the eye, but it is what it is. Sometimes, you know, the camera will pick up. If you've got striking eyes, it pick you up. And people are just, gravi- they gravitate to the way you look. And they bypass your technique, your craft, whatever it is that you're doing, and they just think that you're talented, but they gravitate into the way you look, and maybe the way you sound. And that could be something that you as an artist are consciously aware of and you're doing that, you know, your work and your craft, but most of the time, they're not. They're just being them. And the graft is what builds you up for, for, for the good and for the bad. I believe in training like an athlete. Sagno's film club is a little bit like that. And I don't see why not. And you look at how an act, how an athlete trains; it's nonstop. Even when they're sleeping, they're sleeping not because they want to sleep and they like sleep. They have to because they need to. Their muscles need to to recover. It's really interesting you say that because I remember a good twelve months before Top Boy came out, and you said to me, "Sag, there's this kid who's been coming to film club, and he's just landed a role, and I think it's going to change his life. Not just because of the project, but because he's good, and." I remember truthfully thinking, yeah, I'm sure he will be. I've heard that. I've been in the game a while as much as you have. We probably could list off actors who have potential to go. And he happens to be one of the ones that has gone. Um, And actually what I found really interesting, and we spoke about this because you told me it sort of happened quite organically, is that you found yourself taking on the role of a mentor with Michael. Yeah. Um, is that something that was quite organic? Was it something he wanted from you? What is that relationship now? Number one, naturally, I don't know why. And I don't want to come come across as e- egotistic in any way. I just find myself naturally in those places. 
I don't know what it is. I can't tell you tangibly this is what it is. But I always I always find that I'm in that in that place. I have a, I have younger brothers, younger siblings, I'm in that world, even my peers. It's always I don't know why it is what it is. With Michael Ward, I met him and we I was working with him on a script and he looked at me and he said, I'm new to this. You tell me what I need to do and I will do it. No pride, no ego. This was at Film Club. This was two weeks before Film Club. My my partner, I call him my partner, Gavin Mills, who's my agent and also Michael Wood's agent, he asked me to work with Michael on, on something. I think at the time it was Yardi. And I came in and we, and we just looked at the script and, and we went over it a few times. And he said, because I didn't know what experience he had. Gav never told me. And uh, I expected, I, I don't know why I expected, but I don't, I don't know what or why, but I expected something. I expected him to know what was going on. And he did, he did know what was going on, but there was something that I saw was quite raw. And I was like, oh, and I said, wait, do you know what's going on? And he said, he said, bro, I haven't really done this. He did this in college and whatever. He was like, you just, it's up to you. You're the, you're the captain of the ship do what you need to do and I was like okay and he listened to everything he absorbed everything and it's not like he was a uh, a lemming he wasn't he he questioned things he he wanted to understand how things worked and I just I love that when you see someone who reminds you of yourself there's nothing that's going to stop that train and that's how it has become yeah and it's not it's not just a mentor. Like he says it more than me. I never say, "Oh, I'm Michael Woods' mentor." He's the one that yeah, always says, "Yes, right. is my yeah. mentor." <laughs> but he's just my younger brother. It's as simple as that. I don't treat him any different than I treat Ash or Adam or my sister. I don't. There's no, you know. Of course, there are differences. Yeah, of course, but not really. Did the love kn- is there, you know. Did you know at that point um, the potential was there? One billion percent. Over maybe some other students you've seen along the way. Mike's has a a refresh rate. I call it the refresh rate faster than I've ever seen. What I mean by that is taking in information and executing that information. It's almost instinctual. It, it, it's a joy to work with someone like that. It really is. And because he was new to the game, there was literally zero ego. It's like, you just tell me what, what what's good and let's go, let's do it. And if it feels right, it feels right. And if it doesn't, we'll try something else. How much does, um, I know this because we've known each other for a while now, but for the listeners, how much does um, religion play a part in your life, your decision-making, your everyday? I think it's everything. In every single way, in every department. When I think about things, I always think, um, what am I doing here? And why? And it goes back to what 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 is my purpose in life? And what keeps me what I believe keeps me humble is faith. You know, we, we we're raised from a very young age to believe, maybe it's just my family, but to believe that we are insignificant in the grander scheme of things. And to some people they're like, What? No, we don't want to hear that. But what that does, it gives you humility, in a sense, where you can never get above yourself. And you look at people different as well. You treat people differently when you're like that. I never um, talk about my faith openly because it's 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 for me, and I never want to. I never. What do they call it when you um, sort of preach? Yeah, I never want to preach. I want to lead by example, and. If you are, you know, if you believe in faith, then you believe in the hereafter, right? And for you to get to the hereafter, to get to your final destination, which is let's call, let's say heaven, you have to, you have to be selfish. Wait for it. You have to be really selfish because you're just trying to do as many good deeds as possible. So you're only thinking about yourself. I want to do good deeds. I want to do good deeds. I want to do good deeds. Now, the byproduct of being selfish is you're the most unselfish person on earth. 
Because in you, just trying to do good deeds and trying to get to heaven. How do you how do you do good deeds? You have to help people. You have to give to charity. You have to think about other people before yourself. And that's where empathy comes. That's empathy. That's what we need. Whether you're an actor, just a human being, you need empathy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you need to go out there and just cry your eyes out feeling sorry for people. That's sympathy. It's just putting yourself in people's shoes sometimes. Mm. So I guess the question begs is, what does the future hold for Yasin? Hmm. What, what's the what's the targets, the goals now? Because, you know, I know you said you were out of the game, but it pulled you back in. You know, you're you're about to. I'm start, back in. Baby. I'm you're back about in to full. start the uh, the Witcher season two. You know, you went on and did projects like Ben Hur, Robin Hood, uh, Young Warlander, which will be out imminently very soon. Um, very so soon. Very exciting. Very exciting. What what does the future hold? Because it sounds like you're taking a step back and you're taking this role as um, teacher, and almost without realizing is it fair to say that the industry sort of said no no we're not done with you as an actor just yet (laughs) or to be fair you can do both two years of film club i was tired i said to uh, me and gab always talk no matter what even although i wasn't really acting i said i'm going morocco i'm going to have a break a one month break and don't call me don't we have that relationship (laughs) and he's like all right cool i'm not going to call you go and do your thing the next like i think it was the the i got there one day the next day i think it was saturday i'm on the beach i'm ready to get my board out to hit the waves my phone rings it's gavin mills and i said i'm gonna fire this guy (laughs) i was just like gav why what do you want i pick up the phone gav yo baby what do you want, Gav? you got to read your emails. I said, oh, Gav, you're killing me. I'm on the beach. He said, read your emails. I said, all right, cool. I read the email and I said, Gav, you're a bastard. Because <laughs> it was a role that we always spoke about. Always spoke about. It was always something that I would have loved to have done. And it was just playing me. Um, uh, uh, somebody who was just helping a, a, a comrade and uh, and came from somewhere, had a story. And anyway, that was that. That was young Wallander, Reza al-Rahman. And uh, the rest is history. We, uh, yeah, he pulled me straight back in. That was my first day on the beach. Wow. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I get cast for The Witcher, which is crazy through Sophie Holland I, arguably I'm not just saying this because I'm working with Sophie but she's without a shadow of a doubt great. she's the no, coolest she's cat in the game yeah. 100%. without a shadow of a doubt and actually that reminded me and I don't want to end it on a negative but I know there was a story actually what I love about Yasin uh, for anyone listening because I've known him for a long time is um, he's incredibly unapologetic and one example of that and again we don't have to go into names but I know there was a story of a casting director who you felt wasn't giving you your due diligence <laughs> and you call them out in the room. <laughs> Can you tell the listeners about that? And the only reason I think that's important, the only reason it's I think great it's important story to end on. is because I feel like actors need to hear these types of stories because we're so... There's a lot of actors that can be riddled with fear going into these rooms as though they have to impress and press and press. Um, I, 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 I'll break it down. I don't. I never considered myself an actor in the industry. It was just me doing me, right? I don't. I don't have that thing, okay. But I am representing an agency, and I'm rep- I'm representing myself. So I always conduct myself in a very professional manner. I go into this casting. I'm sitting there, and it, the, the role was a very kind of chilled out type of scene. It was not no 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 fireworks. And the gentleman before me comes out like sweating, and I'm like, "What on earth?" Like, and I see the script in his hand, and it's the same thing. I'm like, "What on earth were you doing in there?" <laughs> so anyway, my name gets called out. I roll in, and uh, you know the formalities. We get past the formalities, and it's like, "Okay, let's go." Bang! I do the scene, and as I'm doing the scene, the person's huffing and puffing. They look like they don't even want to be there. And um, and I was just like, what on earth's going on? And they were like, quick, quick, fast, 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 fast. And I was like, 
wait, I can't see anywhere in the script when it, it needs me to be quick, but hey, I'm a professional. I'll, I'll do what you say. So I do it fast and then I do it even faster. And she's like, quick, hurry up. <sighs> huffing and puffing. And I was just like, this, this is crazy. This makes no sense. So the human side of me kicked in. And I said, very politely, very diplomatically, I said, I'm going to hold for a second. Maybe I'm not right for this. And the person was like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, I wasn't. But I was like, I feel very intimidated by your behavior. And of course I wasn't intimidated. I was six foot <laughs> plus black dude, brown dude, whatever you want to call me. And it was just, you know what I mean? And, uh, and they were mortified because I, I, I just held the mirror out. I didn't want to, it was passive aggressive. And um, they were just like, I'm so sorry, X, Y, Z, and what have you. And I was just like, you know, I could, I can kind of take that with someone else. You know, you could potentially destroy someone. And I realized why the, 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 gen the gentleman before me was like sweating. And that was that. And uh, it wasn't maybe as polite as what I'm saying now. But I had to check that person. Sometimes people just need to be checked. And sometimes you do need to hold a mirror up and like, hey, man, are you looking at yourself? Are you seeing what you're doing? Is there a reason for you to be this way? Mm. Chill out, man. We're here to do something quite, you know, something cool. We're not bricklaying in 50 degree heat. This is all right. This is okay. And ever since then, you know, we've had a good relationship. No, that's great. Like I said, it was. it's a really important story, I think. Like I said, for the actors out there who maybe have had those moments have not quite had the courage to say something, you know, it's not something you should do every single time, of course not. But if you feel inside that it could be worth saying something for the for future benefit. I There's always a line, Sag. There's always a line of, uh, you know, you want to you wanna get a role. We all want to get a role and we all want to do well. But, at, you know, at the end of the day, you, you want to get a role for, for, for a few things. One, it could be because you want to get to the next stage of your life. Two, you really like the project. Three, money. Hmm. So those, you know, those are the few things that we want to do stuff for. But there's always a line on, like, how much do you want to pay? How much do you want to sacrifice to get that? And sometimes you roll the dice and you're like, you know, what? I want to do whatever it takes. And that's absolutely fine because you because one of those three things are very strong or, or three are in there. But but there's always that line, and you know, sometimes mm -hmm. you, you 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 can't just the line will always move back and forth, it'll get wider, it'll get narrower. But but you know don't treat every instant, every situation, in, in, you know, in an isolated way. Don't don't always put you know put everything in together and and be one way all the time. Like oh I'm I'm gonna be this way all the time because I don't like casting directors. No 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 no. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. But draw your line, you know, uh, in a situation. Remember that you're human. And remember that nobody should treat you in a way where you feel uncomfortable. And you don't need to be aggressive about it. You don't need to be, you know, just say, hey, man, I'm a little, uh, I feel a little weird about this. Do you mind if you peg down a little bit? Do you mind if you just chill out because I'm getting quite nervous? I'm getting quite intimidated. You know, I, I really need this. I've worked so hard for this. I'm not saying you have to say that, but that's how we feel as actors. You don't get a role for maybe six months sometimes. And when you do get one, there's so much pressure on you that you put on yourself because you're like, Bills, I'm an actor and I haven't had a gig. How can I even call myself an actor? Oh, the way people are looking at me. I, you know what I mean? All this nonsense. So there's so much pressure. And that's why I love Sophie and her team. They understand that pressure. They understand it and they work with you. And that's the way it should be. Times are changing. It is getting better out there. It is. Yasin, I think that is a uh, fantastic lesson to end on. So thank you for that, man. I think the listeners will appreciate it. One last final question. Um, the question we ask everybody. In terms of getting a job, what do you like the most? Getting the call, the process or the end of product? <laughs> Um, I think it's it's getting the call and the process. You can only choose one. 
I, it's getting a call. Oh, so go why, on, why? why it's they getting call? a call because, because it's instant gratification that you, the work that you did was reciprocated in maybe the way that you would have loved it to have gone, to have been. That's a great answer. Yasin Atour, thank you so much for coming on the World Not The Exception podcast. It has been an absolute pleasure. Come on. Thanks, bro. It's an honor. It's an honor. It's a privilege. Thank you.